There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, it's the beginning of the month again and we're now past the halfway mark of the year. So we're going into July and uh, obviously at the beginning of the month that means we've got a, a sky guide coming up and I can't do that without the help of our friends at UK Astronomy and on this fader here should be Ross Hockham. How are you doing sir? Fantastic, happy July. June seems to be warm. <laughs> Do we have like the hottest day? So far we've had the hottest day, yeah. Since records began, as they always say. <laughs> For June anyway, but July and August we normally get a bit hotter there because we have gone up to sort of like 40 degrees Celsius, didn't we, uh, a couple of years back? Yeah. Well, one of the days last month was ridiculous. It was... <sighs> Didn't they say it beat like Ibiza or the Caribbean or something like that? Yeah, I think we went up to about 32 degrees on that day. So that was, yeah, really hot for that time of year anyway. So uh, let's see what July has to offer. Yeah, probably rain. We're doing, we're doing <laughs> events, so it'll definitely be rain. <laughs> so um, what have you guys been involved with since the last time we spoke? I think I did a uh, I did a space store, didn't I? I went to did co- space store and yes, did an event yeah, there. We, we mentioned that you were going to be doing it. How did that go? That was fantastic. Really good. Really enjoyed it. They're great there. They're, they're, well, I say they're great. It's because they give me free coffee. <laughs> so I can't, can't really say anything bad about that. But uh, lovely, man. The lovely people there turned up. We had about, I think it was about 40, 50 people, something like that, turn up. Did the talk, all really friendly, showed them some telescopes and stuff, and yeah, just a really nice evening. You know, you know, sometimes you just have those evenings where just sometimes when you're talking to people, it's just right. And they're all friendly, all chatty, all laughing, all kind of like in a good mood. And it was one of the best ones. I was like, I really enjoyed that. So hopefully they're going to invite us back for some more. Well, they're opening a new store, aren't they, in Oxford, in the closed market, the uh, indoor market that they've got at Oxford. So I spoke to Kelly, who's one of the ladies who runs it. And she said uh, they're not doing food there. It's going to be events and stuff you can buy and see. And it's going to be more sort of like that than it is actually about food. So more of a store where you can go in and experience stuff, which sounds cool. It's the ideal place for it because there's like a lot of cafes and things around in that environment. So you can go and get something to eat and then have an experience. Yeah, go and try some VR on the moon or astronaut actual suits. Last time I went there and I actually got to put one on and get some pictures. And they're, they're really well made. They're actually almost, you know, identical to the real McCoy. And you've been looking at planetariums, haven't you? We have, yeah. Immersive experiences for the people we had a chat to. Really nice bloke, really nice people. He literally booked a hall at a school and just showed us like two or three different types of domes, the size of them, what you can do inside them, put Stellarium on in there as well, because that's my kind of thing. Had the night sky up going on and loads of videos and things that you get as well with the package. And it was amazing. It did blow us away. We've, we've managed to fundraise about 70%, if not more. Yeah. And we're just waiting for that last bit. You know, you're like, oh, this is the final, like the last 100 meters. We're right there. Come on. I've touched it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, now I want it. I want to go and teach people. 
but there is quite a long wait. It's kind of like we won't have it set up and ready probably till next year because obviously they have to build it themselves. They make it so it's 12 weeks and then they have to ship it as well. So I think it comes from America. So once you pay, I think you do 50%, they build it all. Once it's all sorted, you then do the last 50% at the end and then yeehaw, we're on our way. So you'll so. be ready for possibly next season then? Yeah, so we're thinking it could be a new year thing, can't it? New year. Get it out there, get it out in the papers or something. We fundraise for it, go and teach schools. Really looking forward to it because there's so much we can do in there. And can you imagine the, our NASA Solar System Ambassador? Imagine Janelle in there doing the talks. Well, it could be a really good thing to endorse for astronomy in April. Yeah, well, we're hoping because we know people in Aylesbury quite well, including yourself. We well, you used to be in Aylesbury. <laughs> yeah. We might better do something in the shopping centre again because we did the moon day there, didn't we? All the stuff we were up to and the talks and interactive bits. So to actually have the dome in there and have people come along and actually see the sky, that'd be amazing. To be honest, there's a lot of space there to be able to do. Yeah, there's a lot of room. So at the moment, I think we're at a point where we've had the quotes through and we're pretty much there. We've just got to decide whether we go for the small one or the slightly bigger one. The only problem with the slightly bigger one is it may not fit in some halls. So do we take a hit on, you know, five or ten less people per go, but make sure it can fit in every hall? Because obviously we might be doing cubs and scouts and beavers and things like that. So they don't have huge halls. I mean, at the end of the day, you might have a few less people, but you're getting out to more people. Yeah. So we might not be able to do everyone in a day, but we can do more because, you know, we're not saying, oh no, it's not going to fit in there, so we can't teach you, I'm afraid, sorry. I'm sure it's an observatory or something, or Science Oxford, they've actually just bought one as well. Frankie, my wife, has been chatting to them, she's chatted to loads of people and they've been giving us advice and saying that the smaller one is actually, for them, better because you can get it in everywhere. So it's nice to hear someone who actually has one and is using it. They're really nice about it. There was no sort of, oh, you're buying one as well. Oh, it's like, no, that's awesome. It's brilliant. It's nice that they, you know, can work together. And also, it's going to take up less space in the van, isn't it? So. Well, yes. Do you know, I was amazed. He folded it up and it went in a suitcase. What, the big one? No, normal everyday suitcase for going on holiday. Nothing massive, not huge, just a normal standard suitcase. And that was the actual dome itself. And I was thinking, I thought it would be like packed up into a massive like square with all, you know, wraps around it. And But no, it went into a suitcase and then you've got the blower, obviously. It's like a uh, bouncy castle one. So that's quite big, but you can get a smaller one. They're big, but they're not huge. No. So when I looked at it, he, you actually get a trolley with it as well, like a thin, I forgot what they're called, the trolley. And it all fits on this trolley, which is great for the van because I've just got ramps on there now for the big 16-inch telescope. <laughs> so I could just wheel it straight up and into there. I might have to move a couple of scopes over to the side. And voila, there you go, it's there. I know Frankie's been sharing one of the videos, which is the, the one from Caltech. Yeah, she thinks that's the nicest video, so she likes to share it around. It's about a hospital, isn't it? Yeah, that is an amazing yeah. thing. And to be able to do that, to go to hospitals and, and hospices and, and all those kind of places and, and to be able to teach people or show them things that they've probably not seen would be pretty amazing. Funnily enough, we've, we had a, a lady message us who works for a hospice and they have a field, but they didn't have a hall. So I chatted to her about it and said, oh, if you've got a hall or we can find one for you, we can do an event. And she said, why don't you do it at the hospice? So we're actually going to go, hopefully, and do this event at a hospice for people and their families. So that one for me is kind of like a, quite a nice one. It makes you feel good afterwards. Definitely. Yeah, so, so watch this space, eh? It's all happening. Right. So I think we should 
take a short break there and when we come back let's get straight into what's happening in july Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and Space Launch System rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the Red Planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. So, Ross, what have we got happening in the skies for July? Well, hopefully lots of sun. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest day's just kind of gone, hasn't it? Yeah. So the, hopefully they are getting shorter, which means darker, but we're still going to have a couple of months of maybe only an hour of darkness or true darkness in the sky. But there's still tons to see. Before we go there, though, we're going to have to talk about last month and talk about the elephant in the sky or <laughs> the lack of or what did happen with the Tau Herculid meteor shower. So we spoke about this comet, didn't we, that was kind of broken up around the sun and we were meant to go through the sort of dust trail or bits of it. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. It was totally unknown, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and you didn't particularly want to mention the names of the people because you didn't think you'd be able to pronounce it. Now, I've been trying yes. to get my <laughs> head around this. Now, I think it is Schwarzman Voschman. That's well said. Sounds right. <laughs> because it's German sounding, so yep. the W's are pronounced V. And this is why I let Mark do it. <laughs> the two astronomers that found it in 1930 was Arnold Schwarzman, and Arno Arthur Boschman. Said like a pro. <laughs> but as you say, no, most people call it uh, SW3. So yeah, uh, we'll, go, we'll go with that one. It sounds like a postcode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Southwest 3. So where's that? That's Chelsea, isn't it? Is it? Well, there you go. There's I a think, comment I think in Chelsea. So. <laughs> <laughs> no one really knew what was going to happen, did they? They were trying to predict it. Personally, myself, I saw absolutely nothing. But that was only because the great British weather got in the way yet again. Of course. But I do know that there were several radio astronomers that were on and in a Facebook group and they were saying that they were picking up meteors, so it was happening, it was going on. So I had a little sort of Google and look around to see what actually, you know, was seen around the world and did it do anything and what happened. 
And they're saying that the fact that they'd actually managed to predict it and that the peak happened pretty much around the time that they said it was, was actually really ingenious and how they actually figured it all out was amazing that they actually got it spot on and it did happen. So for the everyday general public, it seemed to be an average size meteor shower. So from what I've read in, uh, it was reported in Sky and Telescope that the uh, Tau Hercules fell short of storm caliber because they thought it might have been a, a meteor storm, which is like hundreds. And they said the observers in darker areas saw around about 15 to 20 per hour. So that's on par with like the, the Orionids and the Lyrids. So it was a minor meteor shower that we never had before. And it's a shame because it could have been, you know, something mad if we'd have actually gone through denser part. But as you said, you just don't know with these kinds of things. It's really hard to see dust, <laughs> you know, in our orbit as we're flying around and actually predict what's going to happen. So you never know. Might go through it again, it might be even more, but a minor meteor shower, 15, 20 an hour, and it's a new one. Why not? Can't really go wrong with that. That's right. There's quite a bit of activity out there at the moment. Yeah, there's, there's de- there seems to be stuff going on. I don't know, as, as we said before, I don't know if it's because people, more people are kind of looking up now and doing things. We, you know, we're getting back to kind of normal everyday life in a way. It's never going to be the same as before COVID, I don't think, because people now are going, well, hang on a minute, I want to work from home a bit more. So people are looking up a lot more because I noticed in the group there are a lot more people saying, oh, wow, did you just see that? I just saw a streak go across the sky at this time. And then someone else from another part of the country goes, yeah, I saw it as well. There seems to be quite a lot of that going on, which is really cool. So you just never know, do you? There might still be bits of that dust that's spread out that we're going through. Who knows? So the moral of the story is always look up because you might see a fireball flying across the sky. So that's something that didn't really put on a show. Well, it did, but the problem is you get hype, don't you? And it hypes everything up and everyone's going to go, oh my God, I'm going to see hundreds, I'm going to do thousands. And it didn't happen, which is often the way of things in the world. So we're going to move on to something that we know is always on show, and that's the sun. The sun's there. We know it's there. <laughs> it keeps us alive. And although it's always shining down on us at some point on the planet, it's kind of become a little bit unpredictable lately. They're saying that it's suddenly becoming more active than predicted. They were counting the sunspots through the years and they were getting less and less. And then suddenly there's been like a jump with more sunspots this year and larger ones and a lot more activity. And I've heard a lot more about coronal mass expulsions, explosions, flares, all solar storms. There seems to be more coming this way because we've had quite a lot of aurora in the UK lately. Yeah. I know Will Cheng's all over that. He loves it. So he must be having a great time. Oh, yeah. I think he just, did he go, he went abroad somewhere, didn't he? Grand Canaria. Yeah, I I saw a picture there or something in the night sky, so that'd be really cool. Grand Canaria has got some great observation areas, so uh, he's probably having a field day. And if the aurora happens as well, I know he's he's more sort of, that's more equator, isn't it? But you never know. Those dark skies, you can see all sorts of stuff. So yeah, so at the moment I'm thinking, well, maybe we need to get some extra solar scopes, filters, glasses and peer at our sun a bit more through July because uh, <laughs> even though, as you said, the longest day has passed, we're still having to wait for those nights. The sun's setting around about 9.30pm at the start of the month, so you've got loads of time to pop out and you know make sure you get the correct gear, certified equipment, filters and stuff like that. Never look at the sun unless you know what you're doing or you're with a professional, have to say that. But if you do have the gear and have a look, it sounds like it's well worth having a peek at the moment because there is quite a lot going on. That's the first thing to look for in July. I popped out last night to let the dogs out. I think it was about two o'clock, something like that in the morning. And uh, Jupiter is really prominent in the sky, isn't it? It is. So easy to see. Really bright. At first, I thought it was Venus. And then I was like, no, Venus isn't up at that time. <laughs> and I was like, that's mad. And then you look slightly to the right and there was Saturn as well, just with your eyes. And it was starting to slightly get light outside as well. 
Yeah. They're so bright. If you were looking straight on where Jupiter is, you're basically you're looking at Jupiter through your left eye, and just in the corner of your right eye, you can see Saturn. It's a little bit higher than Jupiter, not as bright, but you can definitely see it. Yeah, so is it the planets now? They're up in the morning still at the moment. But they're getting higher and higher and they're getting a lot more easy to see. I reckon a couple more months and we'll be really getting a good view of them. They're rising, was it Saturn's peaking above the horizon around about midnight now? Jupiter just before 1am with Mars following around about 1.30am. So they are slowly creeping up into almost into the night sky for us. Uranus comes up about 215 but it is kind of being chased by the sun, so it's going to be a tough spot. It's, it's probably not a good time to see it, but it is there. 3.20 a.m., that's when Venus starts to come up, followed by Mercury around about 4. So the sun rises in the beginning of the month, it's like 4.47 a.m., but it changes, you know, as the month goes on. So the later planets might be a bit harder to see. Mercury will be hard, Uranus will be hard, but the other ones, I think you can easily see them. From what I've seen of them now, I've been out and actually had a look. You can't miss them. <laughs> really Mercury's probably going to be the hardest spot with just your eyes and Uranus you will need a telescope but I think it's going to be too dim so they're there right up in the morning great to see now before we move on to the actual highlights of the month there's been a lot of pictures and chatting also about noctilucent clouds yes there's loads of them I think I think people have really clocked on no one really knew what they were a few years ago did they and they're kind of like what are they but I think since people have been talking about them, sending pictures, they kind of burnt up meteors and ice crystals high in the atmosphere and they reflect the light from the rising or setting sun as it goes down. So we always say keep an eye out for this cool sort of phenomenon. It's around about 90 to 120 minutes before or after sunset. So loads have been seen. The pictures that I've seen are awesome. They're kind of like white wispy blue clouds, aren't they, up in the atmosphere? Yeah. There's been loads of pictures in the Facebook group. So we've got well, we've got everything going on in July. July's meant to be a bit rubbish for astronomy, but <laughs> tons. Right, I just catch my breath now. So the month ahead. On the 4th, we are officially farthest from the sun, apparently, which I always think seems a bit crazy because in the UK, we're in the middle of summer and it's the hottest time of year, yet we're further away from the sun. So in orbit, we are the furthest, but because of Earth's tilt, we're actually leaning towards the sun, so we're kind of getting more of the sun. And so that's why you can expect, you know, warmer few months, I hope. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it like June. I like I like nice warm weather. That would be cool. Nice and clear as well, because I'm going to do lots of solar stuff next month, hopefully. So I'd like to show people all the cool things up there. So yeah, further away, but tilted towards. Bit strange, but that's how the Earth works. We move on to the 8th. Tonight, if you pop to the moon, if you have a pair of binoculars or a telescope as well, you should get a good view of the Jura Mountains, which we always talk about being lit up by the sun. It's known as the jeweled handle. They say it's best around about 11 p.m. And if you're looking at the moon, it's kind of top left is around where they are. And you'll just see this sort of handle of mountains just jutting out from the shadow. If we move on to the ninth, we're gonna have a look at a crater called Kepler. They said it's going to be especially visible tonight. So tonight will be a good time to see it. And it's where a crater has been hit and all this stuff has been ejected out during like a meteor strike onto it. And it's created all this debris from the crater out all across the surface of the moon. It's quite a bright crater. It looks almost like it's got lots of rivers running out from it where all this debris has been thrown out and it's all kind of a lighter color. So that's on the 9th. On the 10th, back to the moon. And it's gonna be quite close to the Red Star Antares. The rocket that's named after it is Antares. Ah, there we go, Antares. 
It's kind of known as the false Mars because it's got a very very red color and it often fools people that think when they go out and have a look up that this super giant star is actually the planet Mars. So it's quite often confusing for people but you can get to have, go out and have a look at it. So it's up on the 10th and the moon's right near it. It's got that reddy color to it which is quite nice to see so it's be a good little thing to have a peek at. On to the 13th. Tonight's full moon is the closest full moon to Earth this year, apparently. So in 2022, it's the closest full moon to Earth, even though there was one last month that was kind of said to be a super moon. Super moon. Super moon. This one's meant to be the closest. So it might look slightly bigger for a telescope or with some binoculars, especially as it rises up from the horizon. It'd be really worth just popping out and having a look at it. I don't think you're going to, you know, you're not going to go out and go, whoa, that's huge. It's well different. But it does look bigger and cooler as it's coming up from the horizon due to all these illusions and things of our eyes and all that stuff and our atmosphere that we spoke about, I think probably last month as well. So yeah, 13th full moon, go and have a look, closest one. Move to the 15th, look out from about 11 p.m. onwards and you'll see the moon and Saturn start rising together. So although Saturn is kind of around about 12 o'clock at the beginning of the month, it's kind of getting later and later. So 11 p.m., the moon and Saturn are going to rise together on the horizon. The moon's going to be to the planet's right-hand side with Saturn slowly moving up and over the top of it as the sort of sky rotates round throughout the night. So if you're actually watching it, you'll see it looks like Saturn is almost going up and over the moon, which will look quite cool. We move to the 19th. It's now Jupiter's turn to meet the moon, and it's going to be directly below the planet around about 3 a.m. So again... As the night goes on, the moon's going to slip underneath Jupiter. So a lovely, lovely little sight to see. Good opportunity for maybe, you know, a picture or two. Because you could get Saturn with the moon, you get Jupiter with the moon. Have them both. Put them on your wall. From the 21st onwards, the moon will be out of the way. So for us deep sky observers and astrophotographers and stuff like that, it's time to get our gear out and try to spot those fainter objects. Even in the summer skies where it's quite, you know, bright, you can still get some awesome pictures and still see galaxies and nebulas and things like that. So from today onwards, that's the time to go out and start hunting. Now the 22nd, around about 12.30, the moon and the red planet Mars rise above the horizon together, along with Uranus, which is going to be just kind of to the left. But as I said, it's pretty close to the moon and then, you know, the sun as well. So I don't think it's going to be bright enough to really see the planet. But if you have a look on Stellarium or something like that, or maybe get your telescope out, you will see they are actually really close to each other, Uranus and the moon. So it might be something you might be able to have a look at. You might be able to see it. Who knows? Go out and have a look. I always say you don't know till you try. So go and have a peek, see if you can find it. 23rd, the moon now meets the awesome Pleiades cluster of bright blue stars in the early morning sky. This will look really nice. It looks like a crescent moon and this cluster of baby stars hanging there in the sky with it. So another thing that maybe you can get a picture of or you know just go out and enjoy and just sit there with a cup of tea and have a look. On to the 25th to the 26th. As Jupiter rises on the 25th, the moon Ganymede is going to be transiting across the planet with Io shadow slightly higher to its left with the moon Io itself then joining just as its shadow kind of like goes across around about midnight until around 3 a.m. So 25th to 26th, throughout the night and the morning, you should see a couple of moons and a shadow going across the planet. So you've got a good four or five hours there to just enjoy Jupiter and watch this sort of celestial orbits of the moons going around it. Might make a great picture as well if you've got cameras and stuff, see if you can get it. Moving on to the 26th to the 27th, over the next two mornings, Venus will be close to the thin crescent moon. Again, making a really lovely morning sort of welcome to those early birds. So see if you can spot the thin crescent with Venus up in the sky together. So last but not least, on the 30th, it's going to be the moon Europa's turn. Its shadow 
is going to move across Jupiter again around about 12.30 a.m. with the moon itself joining at around 3 a.m. So just as the shadow slips off the other side, the moon is then going to join the opposite side to it and go across it as well. So 12.30 to 3 a.m., some cool stuff to see on Jupiter. Now, there is a minor meteor shower this month. It's in the uh, Southern Delta Aquarids. They're usually visible from sort of mid-July to mid-August, so it's quite a long range when it happens. But they say that the actual peak activity, when there's going to be the most, is on the 28th or 29th of July. So both of those nights, good chance you might see some extra meteor showers going along. They said there's around 16 per hour, but the moon's going to be out of the way, so it's going to be even better to see. And the radiant rises where they come from. It rises from about midnight, and it's in Aquarius. And it's kind of just to the left of Saturn. So if you use Saturn as a signpost, to the left of that is where they're going to radiate from. Again, it's going to be from midnight onwards, so through the morning. But you never know, you might see some cool meteors flying around in the sky burning up. Onto our naked eye object of the month. This month, I've chosen the star Polaris, because I like it, I think it's cool. It's the North Star, which contrary to a belief, whenever I talk about Polaris, everyone always goes, oh, it's the brightest star in the sky. It's not. It's not the brightest star in the sky. There's not really anything special about it, particularly. It's just a sort of yellow supergiant. It's around about five times the mass of our own sun. Apparently, if you look closer, I don't know if it's with a telescope or not from here or whether it's, you know, professional stuff. They said it is actually a triple star system. So there's kind of like two other suns there as well with it that go around it. But what it is that makes it special in our skies is that it is perfectly in line with the Earth's axis to the north meaning it stays still in the sky whilst all the other stars spin around it and the constellations fly around it in like a circle over the night. Pop out, have a look, give it an hour or so, pop out again and see where the stars have moved to. Maybe even draw it, you know, go up with the kids or something, draw where plough is and things like that. Because if you want to try and find it, the best way to do it is a plough, treat it like it's a saucepan, it's an asterism in the sky. Go down the handle, into the saucepan, and then follow the last two stars straight up in a line, and that'll point you to Polaris. And you should see it spin around, and it'll change as it goes. If you've got a smartphone or iPad, you can download an app called Nightcap Pro. And this allows you to pop your phone on the floor, face it up to the sky, and it will record the sky over a few hours, and actually create a star trail for you. You'll probably see lots of planes and starlinks and stuff flying through, satellites as well. But it will actually show you, in your own garden, the actual sky moving around in a circle. So pop out, have a look, give it a couple of hours, play around with Nightcap Pro, have some fun. So the binocular object, I've gone for the coat hanger because it's one of my favorites. It's up high and I love it. It's a random group of stars located in the constellation Fulpecula, which I believe is the fox, I think. I might got that wrong, but it's actually nearer Sagittarius. So there's two really small little constellations here, and it's kind of around there. Sagittarius is the better one. I think Sagittarius is an arrow. Oh, she's testing me now, Mark. See if I can remember. <laughs> I have to come back <laughs> next month and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Both constellations are almost kind of like just a line, maybe, of a couple of lines off of them. So they are small, but you can find them quite easily. When you look there with binoculars and see it, it's kind of like a line of blue stars, and then there's like a hook halfway through. It's created by sort of two yellow stars and another blue star, thus creating a sort of upside down coat hanger. It does look really cool. It can be found, they say, easily by slowly sweeping along an imaginary line from the bright star Altar, and then you go up toward the even brighter star Vega, which is another really big bright star in Lyra. If you do a sweep with binoculars from one to the other, you might see some other stuff on the way, some other clusters and bits. They say about one third of the way towards Vega, you should then spot this cool shape of stars. You can't really miss it. 
it is quite bright and binoculars it looks cool and you'll see this sort of like upside down coat hanger so do that have a look as always we'll put slides in the notes for you and i'll get them on in, in time this month because i was bad last month <laughs> i was late i had to go and do a first aid course in park Royal for five days and i was knackered <laughs> so i apologize for that that was entirely my fault we'll have them out on time this month because i've got nothing to do apart from normal everyday work so that's the binoculars moving on to telescope and as i was mentioned a little bit earlier it's kepler crater and it can be found mid left of the moon in the mare insularum kepler is named after a 17th century german astronomer and mathematician it's one of the most notable prominent ray craters they say because you can see all these rays that they extend for well over sort of like 300 kilometers they're overlapping rays from other craters and bits of stuff like that so all kind of like all this debris being thrown over each other and if you look really closely you actually notice one of the rays from another crater which is Tycho actually goes up and across and intersects with this crater Kepler so it almost draws like a curved sort of line up and towards it so that might be a good way to find Kepler because Tycho is quite a big one at the bottom you can follow this curved line up and it'll be right there where Kepler is so if you look slightly to Kepler's right you'll see another famous astronomer and that's Copernicus there's a crater there that's slightly bigger than Kepler and has lots of ray systems as well so have a look start with Kepler find that Tycho line move on to Copernicus, maybe Google the people and find out what they did and why they're famous and on the moon. Now, onto the bit that I don't know much about, astrophotography object of the month. I wanted to find things that aren't really that well known because everyone does, you know, Orion Nebula, California Nebula, all these sorts of things. So I managed to find this, this little one. It's quite interesting because it's, it's two. It's a nebula and it's also a cluster. So it's NGC 6820 and it's a small reflection nebula which means all the stars around it are kind of reflecting light onto it and it's reflecting that light so we can see it. And it's near the open cluster NGC 6823. So not far. And funnily enough, it's in Volpecula, which is cool because you've already been there looking at the coat hanger. So hopefully around this area, you can find where this is. Stellarium will help you. You just put it into the search. I believe it's just kind of just to the left of the actual constellation. And they're all kind of part of a large faint emission nebula. The open star cluster NGC 6823 is about 50 light years across and lies around about 6,000 light years away. So that's not too far, I think. Uh, the center of the cluster, they think, formed about 2 million years ago. So not that old, really. And is dominated by sort of the brightness of a host of bright young blue stars all around that area. The outer parts of the cluster contain even younger stars. So there's quite young stars. And if you look out to the sides a bit, you can see more. And they're even more bluer, sort of like younger stars. From what I've seen in photos, you can actually see what looks like kind of like fingers of dust clouds jutting out into the nebula. So these sort of like dark bits sticking out. I think it actually almost looks like mountainous in shape. Almost like a mountain in the sky kind of jutting out through the nebula in dark shapes. So it's a great little astrophotography target. Try and capture it, see what you can see. I like the fact that it might test you because there's a cluster there as well as a nebula. So you might have to, you know, figure out a way to get the stars one way and get the nebula the other without being too bright for you. So that is everything for July. Explore the world of sci-fi, comic-cons, and gaming. 
Now, usually at this point, I would ask Ross about what's going on for UK astronomy in the next few weeks, but there's been a a question come up in the UK astronomy Facebook group, and I thought it'd be cool to mention it because it's a basic question, but it's quite fascinating at the same time. The question was that this person had been seeing the moon in the daytime skies in the UK and if that is possible does that mean that it's not able to be seen in the night time on the southern hemisphere do you know what they were frightened they were asking a stupid question but it's not a stupid question how come we do see it during the day (laughs) how come it has different phases how come you know I can be seeing it here and someone else can be seeing it from somewhere else in another country yet it's up during the day for us so how come they can see it Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those sorts of things it doesn't really make much sense does it really if you think of it like that yeah when you sit there and try to explain it, it's actually quite a hard thing to explain yeah well you can because it's so far away that really you can still both kind of see it from where you are apart from when it's a new moon <laughs> if you put your finger a little bit of a distance from from your face and you look at it through one eye and you look at it from the other eye you're seeing it from two different yep two advantages so it looks like your finger's actually moving but it's not yep so it's almost like, imagine imagine your face is the earth. Yeah. <laughs> and then shut one eye, because that's someone over there, and then do the other eye, and it's someone in another country. And you're like, oh yeah, look at that. I'm actually doing it now. It works. Yeah. It does look like your finger's moving, but it's not. It's stationary. So yeah, and as, as we know, the moon every night, kind of all day, depending, moves slightly in the sky, doesn't it? So it moves slightly back every night. I mean, you've hopefully seen it from us talking about the podcast enough. I've mentioned it enough the last few months about it going past back all the planets so then you know sometimes you're going to see it during the day sometimes because it doesn't doesn't perfectly go around us in tune to our day no so was it about 27 days something like that it goes around uh yeah about that putting me to the test now (laughs) you can see it over the course of a night i mean we quite often talk about where a a culture star Mm. so that's actually the moon kind of moving slowly across the sky and you know going in front of that star so you can actually see it for real in real time binoculars or a telescope the moon actually moving in the sky i mean think about it as well we talk about when you look for a telescope at a planet if you're just using a normal manual telescope the planets are drifting out and across it and that's because that's the earth moving if you even sit and look at shadows on the ground you can actually see the shadows moving slowly as we're actually rotating with the sun so it's the same with the moon so it's all kind of like crazy (laughs) you get to see this stuff moving around I love that question, and it is really cool, because it is really just about the distance, isn't it? And as you said, perspective. Yeah, it actually reminds me of a video a guy put up about explaining about the curvature of the Earth. Yep. And it's all down to, if you look directly at the sea, it looks just completely flat. And that's because we only see something like, what is it, 0.5 degrees or whatever it is of a whole circle. Yeah. When, from our perspective of what we can see. But the bigger the degrees of perspective, obviously you're going to get a curvature. But yep. you can't actually physically see that nope. with the human eye because your range isn't that big. I'll have to dig out this video, but it's, it's an amazing video. And he's done all the equations to work out the, the different degrees that you need to be able to see different things. And he's basically used different coastal points as landmarks 
so that you can physically see what he's talking about. And it makes perfect sense once you've watched this video. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? When you think about it yourself, you sit there and go, how does that work? And then someone comes along and explains it and you go, ah, totally get that now. As you say, here, the moon might rise at 11, but in another country, it will rise at a different time as it goes around. Well, it doesn't have to be in a different country. It can be in a different part of the same country. Yeah. And the bigger the country, the bigger the difference. If there's a transit of the ISS across the moon, mm -hmm. someone in the north of the country, and that's just in the UK, may not see it because he's looking at a different perspective. The ISS doesn't transit the moon. But in Cornwall, it does transit the moon. I noticed that, well, not, not the ISS, but I noticed where when the sun goes down, in certain parts of the UK, it's a gradual fade. Yeah. But if you go somewhere like the Isle of Wight, it virtually goes from daylight to... Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you, I think about when you look in, I look at some pictures in the other countries, and the moon crescent isn't to the side. It's like a smiley face Yeah. as it goes down. You think, that's crazy. They have it completely different. It's almost like a, a smile slowly disappearing of each phase. <laughs> and there may be a frown as it comes back on the other side. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's cool stuff. Cause it's like what they say about taps as well when they drain, don't they? If you're at one way, they go clockwise. You're another, they go anti-clockwise. And you go, what? <laughs> so what, what a way to end. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> we've, we've thrown up more questions than uh, answers, haven't we? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should just quickly move on to what you've got coming up. As we record this... I'm in two places at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time travelling. <laughs> This event will be happening on the 2nd of July, which is when this podcast should be going out. Yeah, Nature Day at Howell Park, I believe it is. Yeah, it's called Love Nature Day. And as you say, it's at Howell Park Wood. And it takes place from 11am to 4pm. We've been invited to take the whole van. So the Mobile Observatory is going to be there. We'll have the awning out, have telescopes out viewing the sun, hopefully. And as we said, there's meant to be lots going on. So fingers crossed there's some nice flares because we've got telescopes there that can see the flares on it and also sunspots. So hopefully we'll get to see it all. There's a lot of people coming along uh, from different outlets. So you've got people from the RSPB, that's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. I used to be a member. <laughs> um, you've got uh, people from the Natural History Museum in Tring coming over. Your good selves, obviously. You've got the North Bucks Bat Group. You can create wildflower seed parcels with bucks buzzing and you can listen to the Wolverton Town Band playing alongside the famous Howell Park wood frogs. Yes, I know about the frogs. They have some metal frogs there, don't they? Have you been to Howell Park? There's like some metal frogs. With, yes. They all have uh, instruments and stuff, don't they? So I didn't actually know there was going to be a band there, so that's cool because I enjoy that. That'd be a good bit of fun. So hopefully... The only thing that will stop us is if it's raining. So if it's raining, we obviously can't get the van onto the field and there's no point getting the scopes out because it's just going to get wet. So if it's not raining, even if it's cloudy, we will be there because we have loads of other stuff we can talk about. We can show you all the telescopes in the van, all the gear we've got, bits like that. And, you know, we've got other things. We don't know whether we're going to do badge making. We've got solar glasses that we're going to give away. So even if you don't get to see it then, you can take some solar glasses and see them from your back garden later on. So hopefully it'll be loads to do. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. I think they did invite me last year and probably the year before, but as we know, these things didn't go ahead. So we've been waiting quite a while for it. And I think it's been great because one, I love nature. I love going out and learning about stuff. There's always people talking about hedgehogs, isn't there? And bees and birds and 
bats. Do like bats. <laughs> <laughs> they might have booked me in to do a couple of bat walks with them as well. Where if it's clear, we're going to go on a bat walk, and then I'm going to go and teach them about the stars with a laser and stuff. So that'd be really cool. I'm really looking forward to that. So apart from that, what else have you got going on? Oh, well, I've got us. We're well, going back to schools. Going back to school. That sounds a bit. <laughs> I'm going back to school. <laughs> because I don't know anything. Yeah, we've got a couple of schools coming up. I believe we have something coming up that I won't ruin, but we're going to visit the space store again, and this time we're going with our uh, young ambassador, or should I say crew member, Aston. So you remember the kid that wrote the solar system book? Yep. His solar system book is getting an upgrade. From what I've heard, he's writing a lot more, and it might be in the space store in the future. Wow. So fingers crossed. I've had a little word. <laughs> and they are very interested in uh, what he does and his books. So we're going to go and have a little chat with them in a meeting and maybe, you know, there might be an event there that he's going to join me. So this is what we hope is going to happen. And it looks like it is going to go that way. So, you know, I think it would be amazing if it does because he's a great kid. He's awesome. And his knowledge, oh. Aston is, is a, a force to be reckoned with. Cause <laughs> when I first spoke to Aston... I was really worried that he was going to make me look as though I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was worried about that too. Because I, I think I'm doing an assembly or something with him or a talk at his school. And then the teacher said to me, I think it might be best if you lead and then Aston can come in and do bits and stuff. And I'm like, blimey, it's almost like he's now supporting me. <laughs> so that should be fun as well. But no, he's a great kid, and if, uh, yeah, he is. if you've got the link, you can pop it on the notes for people if they want to have a look at his book. But as I said, there is a new one coming out soon, hopefully. I think his uh, mum and dad are trying to get it done by the end of the month or mid-next month, so they're really going to town on it. Because you know I like my, um, the, my DK books and all that yep. kind of stuff. The first book did come across very similar to one of those. It was, you know, practical and very easy to comprehend yep. and had a lot of information in there. And he'd done his own pictures of the planets, hadn't he? As well as, Which yeah. apparently are getting an upgrade as well. He's working on uh, Venus at the moment, I believe. So he's got a few more to go. So he's gonna have to get drawing. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, thanks again for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's always nice chatting and, you know, having someone just as uh, emotional and passionate <laughs> about the skies as me. It is really good to be talking with people that uh, are positive about things and that always builds me up actually because knowing that there's people around who have got the same kind of mindset as myself makes me want to continue doing stuff and um, that's exactly what I want to do yeah, remember as I always say you're a star if you ever have a bad day you're a star because you were born in one technically yeah <laughs> yeah we, we are pretty much all made of stardust <laughs> I think there's a song there somewhere yeah there probably is let's, let's not go there 
So, as I keep saying, I'm working hard to try and get some stuff done for another show. We have got some recordings from John when he was out and about at PAX East, the video game convention over in Boston. Hopefully, we're going to get a guest. Probably won't go out this month, but we're supposed to be talking to someone this month, which I am looking forward to. Um, So, we just got to wait and see what happens. So, as we've already mentioned, just watch this space. So, that just leaves me with the usual things to say, which is thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody, and I'll speak to you again real soon. Clear skies, guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.